I think it's, uh, there we go. Thank you guys. And thank you, Pastor Tim, uh, both for the uh, generous introduction and for, um, you know, obviously partnering with us. I, and I, I got to tell you, um, Pastor Tim, you leave a legacy in our district. Because I, I was talking to him before service, and I have met with two of his son-in-laws, um, both of who are pastoring in our district now, both who are passionate about missions. I'm meeting with another son-in-law next month um, in North Dakota. And, uh, and so just thank you from a, a missionary. Thank you for your legacy that you are leaving for missions in our district. We are very blessed by you. And we are blessed to be here today. Uh, my name is John Paulson. As, uh, as Pastor Sim said, I am a, uh, I've been a children's pastor in Racine for the last nine, or excuse me, seven years. Uh, don't know where nine came from, but for the last seven years we've been down in Racine. And my wife and I are Wisconsinites through and through. Um, I tell you my favorite snack is cheese. Um, I'm an AG pastor, so my favorite drink is not beer, but... Um, and, uh, but we, we have lived in Wisconsin most of our life. We met at North Central and are so blessed to be here before you today. Before I talk about my family, though, I just want to tell you a little bit about the country we are going to. We are children's missionaries to the country of Burundi. And the question I get asked every time I tell someone we're going to Burundi is, hey, that's cool, where's Burundi? Because um, I haven't heard of it and I, I think we have it. Up, uh, I think we can get it up there. Burundi is a small landlocked country in eastern Africa. Um, to, it's about the size of Massachusetts, which is, I find, only real valuable if you've been to Massachusetts a lot. Um, it, is, it is about the same size as the Wisconsin Dells to Kenosha. So, so that size, but it has twice as many people as Wisconsin living within that area. 11.5 million people live in Burundi. And Burundi is the third youngest nation in the world. 45% of their population is under the age of 14. In fact, their median age in Burundi is just 17 years old. And to give that a bit of perspective, here in America our median age is 37. Most uh, developed countries have a median age in the uh, upper 30s to lower 40s, and Burundi's is at 17 years old. Less than 2% of their population is over the age of 60. And so Burundi is a small country in eastern Africa, and my family and I get to go and be children's missionaries there, uh, the first ones in the country, and so we are very excited to get to go. Um, and my family is uh, it's me, my wife, and our two boys, Owen and Parker. Owen is the redhead. He is 10 years old. And uh, Owen is a, is a lover, uh, not a fighter. He loves to cuddle. He loves to meet new people. His favorite way of saying hi is running full speed into your legs for a hug. Right? How many of you have kids like that? Um, so he's struggled a bit with COVID and having to keep that distance. Um, and then Parker is seven years old. He's almost eight in just a couple of weeks here. Parker is the energetic one of the bunch. He keeps us on our toes. Um, I, I swear every day there is a new thing he's doing that is just full of energy. We had, uh, we had a couple of times where we were like, Parker, you know, we'd be staying at a hotel because we're itinerating. We'd be like, Parker, it's time to go to bed. And he just starts jumping up and down. We're like, you know, buddy, what are you doing? He's like, I got to get the energy out. Like, all right. And so, um, and then the pretty one in the picture is my lovely wife, Marissa. We have been married for 16 years. Uh, again, we met at North Central. And our whole married life has been about missions. In fact, before we even started dating, I told Marissa, I said, Marissa, 
I am going to Africa. This won't work if you won't. Because I didn't want to marry someone who it turned out couldn't go to Africa or didn't have a heart for missions. And so that is how we got started. And that is the, uh, what our married life has always been about. We've been pursuing missions. And so we are blessed that God has finally allowed us to pursue this dream that I have had since I was eight years old. I'll be sharing a little bit more about that today. Uh, if you would open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. My goal today is... is is twofold. I want to help you see the vision and the passion that we have for Africa, why God has called us to Africa, why missions to Africa, why children's missions is important. But I also want to instill in you that God has a plan for you and your life for missions. That everybody who is a Christian and who knows Jesus is called into a life of missions in some way. And my hope is, is that today is that you will leave here today understanding that and feeling passionate about missions and the calling God has on your life. That was way louder than it should have been. Uh, so Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you've probably heard this passage before. This isn't anything new when it comes to missions, but we, we are looking here at Jesus as he is speaking to his disciples moments before he ascends into heaven, and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I want us to explore this passage today to look it over and to understand exactly what is being said to his disciples and what Jesus is saying to us. And to start off, we need to understand something. Jesus is not giving his disciples a command, okay? I want us to, to understand, Jesus is not telling his disciples what he wants them to do. Jesus is telling his disciples what they will do. And this is an important distinction because Jesus is saying right now, he's, he's kind of making, um, you know, he's, he's drawing a conclusion between these two statements. He's saying, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. In other words, when one thing happens, Jesus is saying the other always follows it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me and you will be my witnesses. Jesus is not saying, but you will receive power, and I want you to be my witnesses. No, Jesus is saying, when one happens, the other has no choice but to follow. And so he is telling his disciples, you will receive my power, and because that power lives within you, you will be my disciples. Or excuse me, you will be my witnesses. And I want us today, if we can, for just a moment to... Take this idea that we have of a calling into missions and just throw it out the window a bit. Now, I don't want to fully nullify the value of a calling. Pastor Tim, you needed to be called to this church. It's important that your pastor is called to where he is. And in fact, Acts 13, we have this stereotypical calling that we would see. The Holy Spirit is speaking to the church in Antioch. And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. This is that calling so many people receive in camp and in youth group and, and throughout their life into a specific part of ministry. For most of us, when we think of, of being called, this is what we think of. But when we deal with eternal lives, we don't get to act like we don't have a calling. 
In fact, imagine if you would that I am walking by your house carrying a fire extinguisher. And you come running out and you're like, Pastor John, my living room's on fire. Can you come help me? And I go, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's not my calling. You know what? I'll call a firefighter, though. We can wait for them. And you're like, but you, you, you have a fire. You should come into my house and save and help me. But too often as Christians, we carry with us life in the word of God. We don't get to say to someone, that's not my calling when their life is on fire. And that is what missions is for all of us, is a calling from God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 says this. This is Paul writing to an entire church. He's not talking to an individual. This isn't just Timothy or Titus. Paul is saying to the entire church, he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Paul is telling the entire church that you are called. And when we are called, our life always leads to a calling into missions. Because I think if we're honest... We have subconsciously reinvented this medieval hierarchy of spirituality within the church. I hear it all the time. We have people who believe, well, I'm a lay leader. I have a certain level of spirituality I can get to. And then we have the pastors. Ooh, pastors, they're more spiritual than us. And then oftentimes, my wife and I find we get lumped into another category above pastors. We're missionaries. We're even more spiritual. It's not biblical. And in doing so, what happens is, is, you know, quote unquote, normal people, lay people, oftentimes miss out on opportunities God has given you to achieve incredible things because we don't associate ourselves as being called to that level of spirituality. In fact, we hear all the time on the, on the itineration trail, people talk to us and they go, oh, John and Marissa, I couldn't do what you do. Well, why not? What is it we do? For my wife and I, we are Christians who are following the path God has given to us and who are stepping through the opportunities he's put before us. That is the calling all of us as Christians should do. And I find that sometimes what holds us back on this calling idea is that we use it as a crutch to not be apart, to be lazy, to hold back. I was a children's pastor for seven years and I would oftentimes talk to members in the church and say, hey, have you thought about being a part of kids ministry? And I would hear, oh, Pastor John, that's not my calling. Have you told the kids? Because they love you. Like you are incredible. You should, you know, maybe take it up with them. You see, the call of God to salvation in our life includes within an inseparable call to service. No one is unneeded and no one is excluded. In other words, when you accept Christ into your life, you are signing on the dotted line that you will answer the call God has put onto your life. A calling that 100% of the time leads to missions. The question we as Christians need to ask is not, am I called? It is, how am I called? 
And make no mistake, when I talk about missions, I don't just mean international missions. I don't just mean what my family and I do. I mean what every one of you does every day. Your missions calling might be your unsafe family members, your boss, your friend, a coworker, Or it could mean leaving everything behind to follow me. But thankfully, God doesn't expect us to do it on our own. As with everything else that comes from God, when he asks us to do something, he provides the means to do it. So our missions life requires four things. Power, witness, sacrifice, and participation. So firstly, our missions life requires power. This is what Jesus tells the disciples at the beginning. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. God understands that his purpose for us requires a connection to a source of power. And that source of power enables us to be more than we are on our own. Right? In fact, it is that source of power that transforms Peter from a man who in one moment is denying Christ three times to a man who not long afterwards stands before the Sanhedrin after healing a man and when they are tell him, you are no longer allowed to talk about Jesus, he says, I won't do that. When I leave here, I will proclaim the name of Jesus. The same man, what was the difference? It was power. In his life. The Holy Spirit gave Peter the authority to speak into the lives of drivers. The Holy Spirit also drives us to action. It gives us authority and it drives us to action. Philip is literally driven by the Holy Spirit to the Ethiopian eunuch. When we live our lives with the Holy Spirit, we are driven into action. We no longer sit on the sidelines. We take the plate. We step up. Imagine, if you would, that Superman has all the powers that he does, and yet he chooses to do nothing with them. I would argue that is like a Christian who has the Holy Spirit living in their life and does nothing with that power. Marissa and I understand all too well the challenge of being able to obtain power. We had the opportunity to visit Burundi two years ago at the end of 2019. And, and Burundi is not only the third youngest nation in the world, it is the third poorest nation in the world. 90% of their population live underneath the poverty line of $1.90 a day. Half of that live under 90 cents a day. Less than 10% of all of Burundians have power. And in fact, while we were in Burundi, we stayed at a lovely place called King's Conference Center up there behind us. We had a great time. They were used to Holstein Westerners. Um, we were talking in Sunday school a little bit that, um, that they gave us kind of Western, ver their, their version of Western food, right? I mean, there was a lot of food that was covered in gravy. It was just, you know, blank with gravy. Uh, I mean, it was good. Um, they, they, they had pizza for us, which, you know, looked like pizza, represented pizza, didn't taste like pizza, um, you know, uh, but it was, it was wonderful, but they lost power every day. Not a day went by that King's Conference Center didn't lose power. So they had a generator to run everything. I mean, that makes sense, right? If, you're, if you want to keep power up and going, you, you get a generator, but their generator didn't power everything. Just the important things. And we found out exactly what it didn't power one morning when we woke up to try to take a shower. 
Hot water was not one of the things they powered. It wasn't a priority for them. So that day we noticed in our life the difference between power and no power. It was a warm shower. The Burundi Assemblies of God leadership understands what it means to be connected to a source of power. This is, I, the next picture coming up is Pastor Jerome and his wife Benina. Pastor Jerome is the superintendent of the Burundian Assemblies of God. He is superintendent of a church in the third poorest nation in the world. But that hasn't stopped Jerome from dreaming God-sized dreams. You see, Jerome has a Bible school right there in their capital city of Bujumbura where, pa where pastors come in and learn for three months on how to pastor. Now, I was not the best student. I was at North Central for, you know, around about six years or something like that. Um, I didn't learn everything there was to be a pastor in that time. Three months is nothing. And Jerome looks at this and he says, you know what? We have the capabilities to raise up men who have masters, who have doctorates. And in fact, in, in Africa, in a, in a continent that is still in a lot of ways, uh, you know, separated by gender, Jerome is going, we can also raise up women in the same way. In fact, right there in the center of their school uh, is, their, is their classroom. They have one classroom along one whole side are all men's dormitories. And Jerome is saying, we need to have women's dormitories. We need to have more. Jerome is dreaming God-sized dreams because he is connected to a source of power. He dreams things and has visions of a church in Burundi that is far surpassed by what they have. But he understands that he doesn't need to have it. He is connected to a source of power, a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So our mission's life requires power. Our mission's life also requires witness. The Greek word that Jesus uses here, is, that, is, excuse me, that is written here by Luke, is this word martis, M-A-R-T-Y-S. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing it correctly. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's how it looks, so that's how we'll pronounce it today. It's martis. It means to see, to be a part of, to have experience. In fact, it calls back to Deuteronomy 17.6 when God is outlining for the Israelites on what to do in a court of law. And he says, you must have two or more witnesses to bring you know, something forth before someone. And it's this same idea. Obviously, New Testament, Old Testament written in different languages. But it's the same idea. To have experienced something. You see, our calling to witness to others is based on our having experienced Jesus Christ for ourselves. That's it. It's the difference between I think and I know. In fact, in Luke 5.32, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying that all those who come to him and accept him have been called. So our salvation is through the calling of Jesus to us, which allows us to martes or experience Christ for ourselves. And in fact, our witness to others is so powerful because it changes our perspective and it changes our life. 
You know, I've never met a Christian at any point in my life who has not had a, time, a story about how Jesus changed their life. How their relationship with Christ changed who they were. And for Marissa and I, our calling to Burundi came from us Martis experiencing Burundi for ourselves. You see, I was called into missions when I was eight years old. My mom and dad, as Pastor Tim was saying, my dad's a pastor, has been most of my life. And at eight years old, I started talking to mom and dad about the country of Madagascar. Long before the movie came out and those penguins made the place famous, I wanted to go to Madagascar. My whole life was Madagascar, Madagascar, Madagascar. I went to college to be a missionary to Madagascar. It was always about Madagascar. In fact, at about 23, 24 years old, at the end of our college career, Marissa and I were attending a missions convention at our church. And I was sitting down talking with the missionary there. And he said, you know, John, you're really set on Madagascar. What are you going to do if your sending organization wants you to go somewhere else? I was 23 years old. I had life figured out. And I told him, I said, I won't go. It's not going to happen. I'm called to Madagascar. I'm not called somewhere else. So what changed? We marked Burundi for ourselves. While there in 2019, God began to lay on our hearts and we began to fall in love with the people and the country. And while there, God spoke to me and he said, John, the path to get you to where you are has never been straight. I'm going to get you to Madagascar, but it won't be A to B. There will be some detours. Trust me. And so we began to think and to dream about the possibility that our first term would be somewhere else. And in fact, Marissa and I, were we loved Burundi. We were telling the teammates we were in there, we were at Burundi with, we said, guys, we want to come back. Let's make a team. Because there hadn't been any AGWM missionaries in Burundi in over 10 years. There was no prospect of Marissa and I getting back. As much as we loved the country, Assemblies of God sends people in teams and with no team and no prospect of a team, we had no way of going back. But then in March of last year, while we were at uh, Springfield and, and going through the whole process to finalize our missions calling with the Assemblies of God, we sat down with leadership of Africa and they said, we have three places to send you. The first is Uganda. Now, I went to Uganda with Pastor Tim's daughter, Julie, in, uh, what was it, 2004, something like that, somewhere around there. We went to Uganda, loved Uganda, had a great time, so that was the first offering. The second offering was Burundi, and the third was Madagascar. And we looked at him and we said, we want to go to Burundi. In fact, I said, I said, 23-year-old me can't believe what 38-year-old me just said. But we had martest Burundi for ourselves. We'd experienced it. It got into our heart, into our soul, into our bones, and it changed our perspective. That is all that our missions life requires is that we martest Jesus for ourselves, is that we experience him. Thirdly, after power, after witness, our mission's life requires sacrifice. 
We don't like this word, sacrifice. We want to be comfortable. We invented the air conditioner for the sole purpose of making us comfortable. It's hot outside. I don't want to be hot. Let's go inside to the air conditioner. I love air conditioners. They're great. But hear me. I think for some of us, we've allowed comfort to become more of our God than God has. And we do everything we can to stay within our bubble of comfort and we miss out on the opportunities God has for us outside the bubble. We are so desperate to not sacrifice anything, to not give anything up, that we miss the opportunities He's trying to lead us to. You see, this word for witness in the Bible, martis, M-A-R-T-Y-S, is a foundation for another word you may have heard of, martyr. In fact, Luke uses this word for martyr later on in Acts when talking about Stephen. And then Martis begins to take on a word that means not just someone who's experienced Christ, but someone who's sacrificed for him as well. Being called into missions, being called into a life in Christ is not without pain and suffering. Jesus spends a lot of time telling us, hey, be ready for this. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. 1 Peter 4, 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Our calling towards missions isn't to be taken lightly, and it isn't without consequences. For Marissa and I, it means we get to sacrifice stuff, put it into 16 bins and move halfway across the world. But we always want to let people know that that, in our mind, is not a sacrifice. Because you see, the things we are getting rid of to go to Burundi are probably more than most Burundians have ever owned. They sacrifice for the gospel. See, Burundi is 58 years old. They gained independence in, what what does that make it, 1962, I think, if if I do my math right. And since that time, there have been multiple genocides. In fact, if you remember the Hutus and the Tutsis of Rwanda in the early 90s, 1994, the same people live in Burundi and suffered the same struggles. Multiple genocides. A 12-year civil war that ended in 2005. Numerous coups and the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Burundians. Burundians have sacrificed for the gospel. All of us are called to give something up. See, Maurice and I get to stand on the shoulders of giants, which is why we get to do what we do. At the turn of the 19th century, As missionaries began to spread to all parts of the world, a special breed of missionary became known. They were one-way missionaries. They would buy a one-way ticket to some far-off place and a coffin. They would pack everything they owned in the coffin and they would leave, only to come home in the coffin that they had packed. 
In fact, one of those is a guy by the name of A.W. Milne. Milne was called to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, aware that headhunters there had murdered and martyred every missionary before him. But he still went, because he died for himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, A.W. Milne lived among the tribe. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village, and they put this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. This is the calling for many to lay down their lives for the message of the gospel. But we also need to be aware that every one of us daily needs to be willing to sacrifice for the name of Jesus. So our mission's life requires power, it requires witness, it requires sacrifice, and finally it requires participation. Who is God calling you to and where is he asking you to go? As we have been on this journey, we've discovered that the statistics on missions are staggering. 1% of everybody called to a life of missions actually does it. There's a lot of people with a calling who are not participating. We need to realize as well that it doesn't matter who God has called us to. Jesus was called there first. And Jesus called his disciples to some places that I'm guessing at the time they may have wanted Jesus to clarify a little bit. Right? Because he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, Judea, or excuse me, Jerusalem was where the disciples currently were, where Jesus was executed at the hands of an angry mob. Outside of that was Judea, where Jesus' ministry was rejected. Samaria was not just a place that was geographically separated, but was relationally as well. Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. In fact, by all accounts and purposes, they hated each other. And then finally, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Many Jews of that day saw Gentiles as nothing better than fuel for the fires of hell. And these are the people Jesus called his disciples to. So what does that mean for you? Who is Jesus calling you to? Who is that inner circle that you are being asked to reach? And what is holding us back? What is stopping us from ministering to those in need around us? Let me tell you about a man named Pastor Freddie. Pastor Freddie is a pastor in Burundi. There he is. He was a great guy. We had a fun time. We would talk about kids. And uh, he had never seen, you know, we have filters for our cameras now to give you bunny ears and sparkles. He hadn't seen any of that, so we, we were taking some pictures of that. Had a lot of fun. But Freddie had a problem. He had two to three hundred kids living in his neighborhood in Burundi. Now, that's every neighborhood in Burundi. I mean, they're, they're 50% kids. But he didn't have anywhere to put them. He had a small church that could hold maybe 50 people. And no means of reaching the kids. Can we get our next slide? So here is what Freddie did. That's a kiln. Freddie took by hand mud, water, and fire. 
and is making by hand bricks to build a building that will be big enough to hold the children in his community. Freddie has decided there is no excuse too great for God. So he's making his own building materials by hand. I know you guys, you're in an incredible building. Did you, any of you have to make the bricks? To No? Okay. You know, I've been a kid's pastor for seven years. At no point did I have to say, uh, did I have to build my building materials by hand? But that is what Freddie is doing because there is no excuse too great for God. So we see Jerusalem, we see Judea, we see Samaria, we see to the ends of the earth. You probably heard it said this order is significant. Jesus starts with Jerusalem where they're at, spreads outwards to Judea, then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But I want us to understand that this is not a sequential order. We don't start in Jerusalem and stay there until everyone in Jerusalem is saved. And then we get to move on to our Judea and then to our Samaria. No, it is consecutive. While we work on one, we are expected to work on the others. You know, Judea for you could be your city or your county. It's probably an outreach that your church is doing, some means of reaching the people in your community. Samaria, I like to say, Jews and Samaritans, right, they didn't mix. They hated each other. So who are the Samarians in our life, the Samaritans in our life? They're oftentimes the people on the outskirts of society. The ones who are hard to love, who are difficult. They may be drug addicts or women from the street or people who are just not kind. And maybe we've looked at them and maybe we've said, I don't know that they can ever be saved. Jesus is calling us to them and then to the ends of the earth. We are all called to do a part and that part is to reach the whole spectrum that Jesus has laid out before us. We need to understand as well that every single one of us is called to every area. While Marissa and I are, are itinerating and are focusing on Africa, we need to watch out that we don't miss the people in our Jerusalem, the friends, the family, the neighbors in our apartment complex, that we reach out to them. And while you are ministering to those around you, Jesus expects that you do your part in reaching the ends of the earth. For some of us, it means we call, we go, but for everyone, it means we send. The first church Marissa and I were at when we were itinerating, the pastor got up and he said, when it comes to international missions, we have three things we can do. We can go, we can send, and we can disobey. For Marissa and I, we would love for an opportunity to share with you out in the lobby after service. We have been itinerating for about six months and we're just under 50%. Our goal today is we would love to partner with five of you on a monthly basis. People who see the need in Burundi and who understand that God is going to do incredible things there and who want to be a part. We would love to talk to you about that. But whether that's what God is calling you to or not, we have prayer cards out, out there and we would love for you to take them. These are important. They are key to our ministry. 
Some of our friends, and I know yours, we saw their, their face out on your wonderful missions board out there, are the Osbournes. And Wendy was talking about a time when they were in intense spiritual warfare to the point where they could feel it. Have you ever been there? Right? Just spirit, it's just, it's oppressive. You kind of wake up and you can feel something's off. That's your spiritual life. And Wendy said that they were getting up every day and that's how they felt. But in the afternoon, that weight would lift off of their life. And what it was is it was friends getting up and praying over the Osbournes. And it made a physical difference in their life. So please, we want to encourage you to take some of these home. We also have some Pray Now booklets out there. If God is starting to stir in your heart for Africa or for kids, uh, this is a great place to start. It's a prayer journal. It goes through all the needs in Africa. Africa is the um, youngest continent in the world. Half of their population is under the age of 14, which is about 500 million people. And right now, the Assemblies of God has 25 children's missionaries there. I've been a children's missionary in our district for seven years, and Right about 25 is the number of missionaries we have in Wisconsin alone. So I would encourage you, if God is leading you, to take one of those. And again, if you feel led to partner with us on a monthly basis, we have some forms we can fill out. We'll make it real easy. We would love to partner with you. But I encourage you, go home today and ask God, what is he telling you about your calling to missions? He's called us and he asks us for four things. Maybe you are connected to a source of power and you're just not using it. And you need to talk to God about what that looks like. You need to talk to him about what does the authority I've been given mean. Maybe you've realized that you have experienced Christ but you need that witness again and you need to use that as a springboard for witnessing and telling others about Jesus. Maybe... Comfort has become too much of your God and you hold on to it too tightly. You're not willing to get uncomfortable. Or maybe all of that is leading you to God saying that you need to participate. You need to be a part because we've all been called. Pastor Tim, thank you very much.